0: It's up for debate on KLJXLP Flagstaff, KJAC 107.1. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you very much for tuning in today. And make sure you tune in every single weekday from 10 to 11 a.m., I will be here live bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports, only on KJAC Radio and podcasted on Spotify on the KJAC Sports Podcast. So if you ever miss an episode, you ever can't show up live, make sure to tune in there. We have a great episode today for really big topics. The first week in the NFL is finished. So we're going to go back to a segment we brought up last week. That's debatable. We talk about a... Subject matter that may be up for debate just a little bit. We're also going to talk about the Saints beating the Buccaneers and whether or not the the NFC South is up for grabs. We're going to talk about Jacksonville and how maybe they're not as bad as we've all given them credit for. And then the Nuggets force another game seven. But to start things off, I want to jump in with that's debatable. And this week I want to talk about Mitchell Trubisky. Yes, Mitchell Trubisky got the win. No, Mitchell Trubisky is not the guy. Here's the thing with Mitchell Trubisky. He's just not a four-quarter quarterback. And we saw it last yesterday against the Lions. The Lions don't really have a very good defense by any, any stretch of the imagination. And Mitchell Trubisky was pretty much locked down throughout the first three quarters. And he was completely flat and went into the fourth quarter with a 6-23 to deficit. Now, a quarterback like Mitch Trubisky has been in deficits like this before, and by the time the fourth quarter happened, the fact that they were at six points wasn't the biggest surprise. I just kind of want to, before I jump into this game, I want to talk about Nick Foles. Because Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky were battling for this starting position. They wanted to both be the QB1, and Nick Foles was just traded from the Jacksonville Jaguars this offseason to the Chicago Bears to compete with Mitchell Trubisky. So if Mitchell Trubisky won the job, how bad does that make Foles? Because we've seen Mitchell Trubisky, and we've seen how good he's been, and when we've seen him be good, it really hasn't been all that good. He's shown a couple flashes of maybe he can be an average starting quarterback in the NFL, but for the most part, Mitchell Trubisky looks pretty bad on the field. And if Nick Foles couldn't win the job, how much worse could he have been? I mean, how much worse can Nick Foles be on the field than what we've seen out of Mitch Trubisky? Former Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles led his team through the playoffs uh, and, and ended up winning a Super Bowl. I mean, this is a guy who has been there and done that. And Mitchell Trubisky is a young quarterback still, but he doesn't have any of that experience. He doesn't have any of that talent that Nick Foles possesses. And if he beats out Nick Foles, how bad does that make Nick Foles? And if they couldn't start Nick Foles, if Nick Foles wasn't good enough to start, why didn't they go after a guy like Cam Newton? I mean, if Nick Foles is worth worse than Mitchell Trubisky, why wasn't Cam Newton on their radar? I mean, he was a free agent and clearly he's talented and – His contract, much cheaper than Nick Foles. They didn't have to give anything up if they wanted to sign Cam Newton. I mean, they had the opportunity. They had the option to sign Cam Newton and bring him into this team, but they still didn't. So Mitchell Trubisky is the starting quarterback of the Chicago Bears team, which defensively has looked much better. Defensively, I mean – They've taken a lot of leaps and strides over the last couple of years, bringing in Khalil Mack, Eddie Jackson. I mean, this is a defense with some pretty talented guys. But offensively, they decided Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles were the better option than a guy who has made a Super Bowl, a guy who has an MVP award, and Cam Newton. Now, clearly, Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky are not the guy for Chicago. And Going down 23-6 to six early on in the game and to start the fourth quarter is really not what you want. But the big issue here wasn't that Mitchell Trubisky won this game and Mitchell Trubisky had a tremendous fourth quarter comeback and he's back because that's not what's happening here at all. And if you think Mitchell Trubisky's back, you might want to look at things again. The big issue for the Lions this game is that they choked and Matt Patricia severely mismanaged the game. Now, first things first, they had three scores to protect going in with a 23 to six lead to start the fourth. All they have to do is protect the lead, maybe put a couple of points on the board, and keep the Bears out of the end zone. It's all you have to do when you have a lead like that when you're doing <clears throat> that well. But Matt Patricia really mismanaged that game because with a 10 point lead after the first touchdown scored by Nick Foles in this, or excuse me, by Mitchell Trubisky in this Bears offense. Matt Patricia put out Matt Prater for a 55-yard field goal. Now, keep in mind, this is the difference between a 10-point lead and a 13-point lead. And with only four minutes and eight seconds left, Matt Patricia missed this field goal. Matt Prater missed this field goal that Matt Patricia put him out for. And the Chicago Bears once again came out with a super short field with four minutes and eight seconds left. And, of course, they went down the field and scored. Now Matt Patricia mismanaged this game. He put the ball in the wrong hands and, and yes, the Lions should have won this game. Yes. Deandre Swift dropped the touchdown pass. That was the potential game winner. And that's going to haunt Deandre Swift. I mean, his first game in the NFL had the potential to be a big time W with no time left, only less than 10 seconds left when he dropped the pass and he had a chance to be the hero and he couldn't. Now Yes, they should have won this game, but this is still on Matt Patricia. The 55 yard field goal that they missed should have never been taken. In that situation, up by two scores, you punt the ball back and you trust your defense. When you have Khalil Mack on the field, you need to trust your defense. And Matt Patricia didn't trust his defense, and that was the biggest issue for this Lions team. Now, after that first field goal miss, the Bears went, went down the field and scored a touchdown. And the Lions got the ball back and they had an opportunity again to just chew the clock out, try to waste time and maybe put some more points on the board to separate the score a little bit more. But that is not what they did. Matt Patricia came out and he ran the ball two times in a pretty obvious set. Uh, It looked like the ball was going to be ran to Adrian Peterson and that's exactly what happened. The next play, Matthew Stafford was intercepted and this game was right back into things Now, Mitchell Trubisky is not the hero of this game. He is not the guy who's going to save this Chicago Bears team. He's not a great quarterback, and although he has looked maybe a little bit better during that fourth quarter, he's not the guy. Now, keep in mind, Nick Foles is still the backup quarterback, and I fully expect him to be the starting quarterback by the time this season ends. I think the Mitchell Trubisky experiment has run its course, and he's not the guy. So if that was up for debate for any of you guys, if you thought that Mitchell Trubisky was potentially going to be the next starting quarterback, the next superstar starting quarterback of this Bears team, uh, well, maybe you might want to reevaluate things, because I just don't know if he's quite the guy. I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, the New Orleans Saints won against the Bucks in week one. What does that mean for the NFC South? Stay tuned. The New Orleans Saints got a statement win in their first outing of the season against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the team that they're going to have to be battling against for the NFC South, in my opinion. Now, the New Orleans Saints are the team that has pretty much dominated the NFC South for the last couple of years. Ever since the Panthers Super Bowl run, the Saints have really been the top team in the NFC South. But this year, things might be a little bit different as the Buccaneers have made a lot of offseason changes. Now, these offseason changes include a new quarterback, a new starting tight end, some new defenders, new offensive linemen. This is a complete overhaul of this roster, and with a coaching staff like Bruce Arians, the expectations are extremely high for this Bucks team. Now, Tom Brady had himself a rough outing, and that's saying things a little bit lightly because he couldn't really figure things out. He was 20 for, 23 for 36, 239 yards, but he had two touchdowns and two interceptions. So not really the type of game you want to see out of Tom Brady, especially if you're the Buccaneers. Uh, he didn't really sign, show too many signs of age, but he did make a couple mental errors. He did make a couple mistakes. But that stuff's going to happen. That stuff is going to happen. So if you're a Bucs fan, if you bet on the Bucs, if you think the Bucs are going to go to the Super Bowl, win the a- NFC South, whatever you guys think, don't give up on the Bucks just because of this one game. It's going to take some time for Tom Brady to get himself established and get used to being on this new roster. I mean, he's been a New England Patriot for his entire career. He's had the same playbook, the same coaching staff, the same everything for his entire career. And now he's finally doing something different. And, of course, there's going to be a little bit of an adjustment period. No matter how big of a pro Tom Brady is, he's going to have to adjust. He's going to have to adjust to a new offense, new guys around him, a whole new offensive line. I mean, this is a completely different environment than what he's used to. And heading to Tampa Bay instead of in New England is going to be not only a culture shock and a culture change, but a lot of things are going to be different for Tom Brady, and he's going to have to get used to it. Now, the first things first about this game is the Saints and the Bucks were pretty well matched offensively. I mean, both of these teams have very talented offenses. They have very talented wide receivers. The Buccaneers have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, even though Mike Evans was a little bit uh, banged up this game. And then the New Orleans Saints, they have Jared Cook and Michael Thomas. They have very talented corpse right there as well. Uh, but Alvin Kamara, who just got paid, is a big part of this. Now, although Kamara got completely locked down had less than 20 yards rushing he did score two touchdowns and he did show why he gets paid what he's getting paid now he's one of the best receiving backs in all of the NFL and offensively New Orleans needs a guy like that I mean if they didn't get this contract situation hashed out Latavius Murray would have been the guy they would have had to rely on which wouldn't have been the absolute worst but we've seen latavius murray and he's not a one a running back one. He's not a guy who can be in that situation who can just be a superstar like alvin kamara has that potential. So alvin kamara making that contract extension, signing that that those terms and scoring two touchdowns is no surprise. I mean alvin kamara is shifty as heck I mean he can get around just about anybody and we saw with a lot of different opportunities that this Bucks team is not the team to run against I mean the defensive line with Ndamukong Sue and with Vita Vea is so tough but then when you get to that second level to the linebacker corpse it even gets tougher from there Devin White and that is just the start of things So the Bucs have a very good team, but the difference maker in this game was the defense. I mean, defensively, the Bucs did a good job stopping the run game, but the pass game, they still have a hard time stopping. The Saints, on the other hand, did not have that issue. The Genovese-Jenkins pick six was probably the biggest play of the game because this really got Tom Brady out of his element. It's really put him into a situation, into a box that he's not really used to. And this New Orleans Saints defense really capitalized on the mistakes that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers made. Now, they had two interceptions on the day, and against Tom Brady, that is perfection. That is exactly what you want to see against one of the best quarterbacks ever. If you can take the ball out of his hands, you can beat him, and that's what the Saints did. They took the ball out of his hands, and they took away the run game. There was less than 100 total yards allowed for the New Orleans Saints defense, and, I mean, without a run game, Tom Brady's going to have a little bit of a slow start. I mean, he's had a run game his entire career. The last couple of years, he's had James White, Rex Bur- Burkhead, Sony Michelle. I mean, he's had a three-headed monster in the backfield almost his entire career. So the fact that Tom Brady is dealing with Ronald Jones and, and Leonard Fournette, who is brand new to this team, uh, it might not be the best situation for him as far as running backs go. But then again, Leonard Fournette could step into the, the role and the potential that he's already shown that he has. I mean, he shows that he can be a star running back. He is a bruiser, and he capitalizes on yards after contact. That's the type of guy that Tom Brady likes next to him, especially with the speedy wide receivers that they have. Chris Godwin is one of the more talented wide receivers on this team, but tight end-wise, they are deep. So offensively this Bucks team is not a team to give up on but after this first game after their first win against the or for the Saints which of these teams is more likely to win the NFC South is it the Saints who won the first matchup or is it the Buccaneers who have a new quarterback a new offense and have a a whole new everything well I think this year is going to be the Saints I mean the Saints have been dominant and They're a team that has the chemistry. They have the consistency offensively and defensively, and I expect that to pay off for them. Now, consistency is something not a lot of people talk about, but the team that the New Orleans Saints put out this year is very similar to teams of the past. And although they might not have gotten much better, they're a team that is only getting stronger and was already in their Super Bowl window, already had the the talent and the possibility to win a Super Bowl. So the fact that they are playing against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and beating them in week one is no surprise. They have that chemistry. They have that familiarity that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers don't. But I also think that offensively and defensively, the Saints team is a little bit more balanced. Now, the pass game for Tampa Bay is going to be lethal. And once Tom Brady figures out that offensive line, figures out the run game, figures out all of that stuff and gets more used to it, gets his chemistry up with his receivers, that offensive powerhouse is going to be a lot better. And Tampa Bay is going to be better. But can – they keep up with this Saints offense. Can they keep up with the run game that Alvin Kamara possesses? Or can they keep up with the wide receiver talent of Mike Evans and Chris Godwin? I mean, this is going to be a tough matchup that is going to go back and forth all season long. And I, I think it's going to end up in a one, two situation between the Saints and the Buccaneers with the Saints finishing on top. I mean, but either way, that doesn't really matter all that much because both of these teams should make the playoffs. Both of these teams have Super Bowl potential, and both of these teams have a Hall of Fame quarterback. So we're going to see them deeper in the playoffs. We're going to see them potentially in a third round come postseason time. So stay tuned for that because the Saints and the Buccaneers are going to be one of the better matchups to keep an eye on all season long. And the first edition of this was was no different. Offensively, Tom Brady struggled, and defensively, the Saints were ready. I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, Jacksonville, maybe not as bad as we think. Stay tuned. The Jacksonville Jaguars came out in week one and shocked everybody. Yeah, they completely shocked everybody, me included. Now, I came into this game thinking the Indianapolis Colts were going to completely dominate the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Jacksonville was going to be the team heading for Trevor Lawrence. And when I say heading for Trevor Lawrence, I mean going for that number one overall draft pick. Because I, before I dive into that game, I want to talk about Trevor Lawrence. He looks like the best quarterback prospect that we have seen in an extremely long time. So he is going to be the number one overall draft pick unless something absolutely insane happens this college football season. Now, we've seen so much talent from Trevor Lawrence. We've seen so much potential from Trevor Lawrence. So we can only imagine what he's going to do at that next level. And the big thought was whatever team was going to be the number one overall draft pick was going to get Trevor Lawrence. And Jacksonville being the type of team that they are, not really being as stable as most people would like their football team to be Jacksonville kind of fit this motive as being that team chasing the number one draft pick being that team chasing Trevor Lawrence but I think we all forgot about something and I am guilty of this too I completely forgot about a guy named Gardner Minshew now Gardner Minshew had a good first year and he was in the rookie of the year competition I mean, he was a talented quarterback year one, and even though the Jacksonville Jaguars may not have been a very good team, the quarterback play from their QB1 in his first season was good. And it's exactly what you would hope for for a fourth round or a third round draft pick. Somebody drafted as late as Gardner Minshew was. So he was a big surprise for Jacksonville just in general. But the fact that he's still that starting quarterback and ended up beating out Nick Foles for the starting job just puts him a little bit higher in my book. He beat out a former Super Bowl champion. And I know Mitchell Trubisky did the same thing, but we're going to see that that probably won't last too long. Um, on the other hand, Jacksonville is a team that has completely blown up everything. They've gotten rid of all of their stars that they've had. I mean, they have had some really talented defensive players on this team just over the last four years that are all now gone. Now, I'm talking Jalen Ramsey, Yannick Ngakwe. I'm talking some of the more talented defenders in all of the NFL, A.J. Boye. I mean, these are guys that Jacksonville is now missing out on. And this is because they completely blew up their whole defense, blew up their whole offense, and the whole Tom Coughlin regime and everything that he did for this team and all the players he brought into this team, they're all pretty much wiped away, gone. And now this is a whole new roster for Jacksonville, and offensively they have some real potential. And when I say offensively they have some real potential, I think you should all take a pretty deep look because Jacksonville, the potential number one pick – They have Gardner Minshew, but they also have a couple really talented wide receivers. Now, the first wide receiver I want to talk about, DJ Chark. We've heard about DJ Chark. He has been talented for the last two years. Last year, he came into the scene and he really exploded. He showed just why Jacksonville is using him the way they are. And he's just going to take another step forward with Gardner Minshew. And of course... Like I said, consistency is key, and Gardner Minshew has that consistent number one target in DJ Chark. He's back this year, and that's going to be a big thing for him. He got a touchdown against the Indianapolis Colts last night, one of three that Gardner Minshew threw, and that's their wide receiver one. Moving down the, uh, the order, Lavishka Chennault caught his first touchdown of the season. This is a big deal for the second round draft pick of this Jacksonville team. They needed another wide receiver, and LaVishka Chennault has all of the tools. He's fast. He's quick. He can catch. He can run routes. I mean, he is going to be a really interesting character and an interesting piece on this Jacksonville team because he can do more than just catch the football. He can also run the ball. He can be used in a utility role that not a lot of other wide receivers can be used for. And although Jacksonville didn't really show all that much of his utility, they did give him two rushes, and he did end up with 10 yards. So that's not the worst. Uh, But this Jacksonville team has Gardner Minshew leading the charge. And Gardner Minshew is not as bad as everybody's giving him credit for. 19 completions out of 20 attempts, three touchdowns, no interceptions, he had a clean game. He only had one incompletion all game long. And although they didn't throw the ball as much as I'm sure Gardner Minshew would have hoped, they were consistent. And Gardner Minshew had a good good game, and he was able to go down the field and beat this Colts defense, which is supposed to be new and improved. Now, a big reason this Colts team did fall is Marlon Mack did go down with an injury as their number one running back, which is always going to hurt. But Phillip Rivers – showed that he makes mistakes and that's the type of quarterback he is no matter how good of an offensive line you put in front of him he's going to make mistakes now Gardner Minshew didn't make those mistakes and the winner of this game because of that was Jacksonville now will Jacksonville get the number one overall draft pick is Jacksonville in the same situation as they were one week ago when they were 0-0 I mean a 1-0 and team is much better than an 0-0 team And an 0-0 team has that opportunity to to go for Trevor Lawrence, but the Jacksonville Jaguars, if they keep winning games, they're going to lose that opportunity. So if the Jaguars are going out there to win games and Gardner Minshew has the capability, he has the talent to win games, then Trevor Lawrence isn't really as useful to this Jacksonville team as a lot of people thought. So where does he end up going? Where does... Who will be the worst team in football? What are the other options for the number one draft pick? Well, the Lions didn't look very good this first week, and they're a team that, even though they lost a big lead to Chicago, if they can't figure things out, they might need to move on from Matthew Stafford. Now, I think Matt Patricia was at fault and not Matthew Stafford, even though Matthew Stafford did throw a crucial interception that did give the Bears great field position with not very much time left in the game, I think Matt Patricia is more of an issue. But Trevor Lawrence is the better quarterback out of the two, especially at this point in Matthew Stafford's career. So if the Lions decide that, well, we can't really go anywhere with Matthew Stafford, we can't figure it out with Matthew Stafford, well, maybe Trevor Lawrence steps into that. I also think the Jets and the Colts could potentially be those bottom feeder teams. Now, the Colts lost to the Jaguars, and that was a big shock to me as I thought they were going to be a Super Bowl opportunity team, a team pushing their way into the playoffs at the very least. But losing their starting running back in Marlon Mack and having to rely on Jonathan Taylor uh, for a bigger role might hurt them a little bit. Now the only reason this will hurt them a little bit is because Jonathan Taylor just doesn't have that experience and he's going to be running behind a great offensive line, but he hasn't really played all that many snaps at the NFL level outside of what we've seen in game one. So they're going to have to rely on Jonathan Taylor a lot, but if Phillip rivers has the same types of games that he had against Jacksonville, who keep in mind has a pretty rough defense, not very good, uh, in a lot of different in the secondary they're not very good they don't have a very good pass rush i mean this is not a very good defense for jacksonville philip rivers couldn't figure it out i mean he threw 46 yards or 46 attempts and threw two interceptions and that's just not going to do it if you want to go deep into the playoffs if you want to win a super bowl which philip rivers wants to do i mean he came to indianapolis to win a super bowl he came to indianapolis to try to revitalize his career on a new team and although he had no success in San Diego it might be the same type of deal he had uh, but now in Indianapolis now I don't expect them to be the number one seed but I do think it's kind of curious that they lost to defense and an offense like Jacksonville who although they have Gardner Minshew and a couple weapons on offense still are not very talented I'm going to take a quick break when I come back the Denver Nuggets force another game seven is this going to end up in the Nuggets favor Stay tuned. The Denver Nuggets have forced another game seven. Yeah, you heard me correctly. The Denver Nuggets have forced another game seven, and I am shocked. Now, last time I talked about the Denver Nuggets, I thought they were going to lose. They were down 3-1 in the series, and the Clippers just looked like they were the better team. Oh, how things have changed in just a couple of days. Now, the Denver Nuggets have won the last two games, and now they are tied 3-3 in the series. And this is going to Game 7. For the second series in a row, the Denver Nuggets are going to Game 7. And for the fourth playoff series for this Denver Nuggets team in a row, they're going to Game 7. They went to Game 7 against the Utah Jazz in the last series, and then... Last year, they went to Game 7 against Portland and San Antonio. So Game 7 is pretty familiar for this Denver Nuggets team, and right now, over the last two years, they have a pretty good record, if I do say so myself. 2-1 in those Game 7 matchups, the only loss coming against the Portland Trail Blazers in the exact same situation that they're in now. In the same spot of the playoffs in the second round, The Denver Nuggets got knocked out by the Portland Trailblazers in game seven after a really tightly contested series. Now a year later, the Denver Nuggets are back in the same spot, back in game seven in the Western Conference semifinals. But the only difference is they're playing the Los Angeles Clippers. And the Los Angeles Clippers are an extremely talented team led by Kawhi Leonard, led by Paul George. This team has offense for days. And defensively, this team is really good as well. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, both very good defenders. Montrez Harrell, a pretty good defender at that power forward situation. Patrick Beverly, a very good defender as well. Defensively, this is a very good team, and it's a gritty team. It's a tough team. This Clippers team is not the team you would expect losing two games in a row to go to a game seven. And the fact that they lost those two games really worries me for what they can do in this playoffs. Now Kawhi Leonard has been tremendous and Paul George has shown flashes and been okay. Every now and then, uh, especially in that last game, he dropped 33 points. He had an all right outing, but they need to be better around him. Zubak had two points. Beverly had two points and and Marcus Morris had five points for the Clippers. Now that was three pieces out of their starting five where the highest point score was five points. That's not going to do it. That's not going to cut it if they can't figure out a third scorer, if they can't get that third guy going behind Kawhi Leonard, behind Paul George, then they are out of luck. And for the Clippers, they have a really tough situation that they have to get out of because Nikola Jokic has been incredible. And there really isn't a guy on this team, there really isn't a person on this Clippers team that can slow down or stop Nikola Jokic. And for the first couple games, it was supposed to be Zubac. It was supposed to be Avika Zubac who slowed down Jokic and, and played that tough defense. But Zubac is young and inexperienced, and he's not as tough as the defender is, of course, the Clippers would hope. So Jokic has been taking advantage of that matchup, and he has been tremendous. He's been shooting threes. He's been rebounding and passing. Nikola Jokic has put this Nuggets team on his back, much like Jamal Murray did in the first series against the Utah Jazz. I mean, the Nuggets have found a guy that they can rely on in both of these series, and that's incredibly good for this team. Against the Clippers, it's been Nikola Jokic. Against the Jazz, like I said, Jamal Murray, but the fact that they have a guy who's been able to close out, who's been able to be so consistently good throughout an entire series is exactly what they need. And going into this Game 7, I can't imagine that the Nuggets lose this they got the momentum on their side. They've got this two-game winning streak. They're in their second game seven in a row, and they look revitalized in the last game against the Clippers. They went to a, almost a 20-point deficit before they clawed their way back. At halftime, this was not the same game that the Clippers thought it would be. It was a 16-point game at the half. The Clippers led the game, but the second half, the Nuggets completely turned it around. And Jamal Murray credited it to the fact that this offense can just flip a corner in in any given moment and just turn things on. And that's exactly what happened against this Clippers team. So what do the Clippers need to do better? How can the Clippers figure out how to win this game? Because Jokic has been on fire. The Nuggets have been on fire. Well, the fact of the matter is they need to lock down Jokic. Patrick Beverly has done a very good job with Jamal Murray, even though he did fall out, out pretty early in the last game. He's done a pretty good job with Jamal Murray and has limited him pretty well. Now, he did have 21 points in the last game, and he shot really well, but he was limited to only 13 shots. And if the Clippers want to win this game, they need to be beat by Murray, not by Jokic, because we know that Jokic can beat this Clippers team. I mean, he's shown it before. We know he can beat them. So if they can focus all their defensive attention on Nikola Jokic and put it on Jamal Murray to win the game, it's going to be a different series than what we've seen the last six games. I mean, it's been mostly ran through Nikola Jokic. And if they have to switch things up and go to Jamal Murray, things might be different, and the Clippers might be able to come out on top. Now, Kawhi Leonard needs to also run the offense. Although Paul George had an okay game, he was completely inefficient last game. He was nine for 21. He shot under 50% from three. He just wasn't as efficient as this Clippers team hoped. And he hasn't been efficient this entire postseason. So Kawhi Leonard needs to be at the front of that offense. And he needs to have the ball in his hands. Because I don't know if you've ever seen Kawhi Leonard play basketball, but he's a little bit different. The emotion on his face isn't the same as everybody else. When he plays basketball, it's more serious. And Kawhi Leonard is one of the best in the world to do it. So put the ball in your best player's hands and let him win the game. Because Kawhi Leonard's the best player on the court whenever he's on the court, pretty much. If he's not sharing a court with LeBron James or Giannis Antetokounmpo, he's the best guy on the court. And against this Nuggets team, he's the best player. So if they can put the ball in Kawhi's hands, it can end up stopping Jokic. This is a game that the Clippers could potentially win. Now that's going to do it for up for debate. I'm going to see you guys tomorrow once again. Thank you all for tuning in. And make sure you guys tune in every single weekday from 10 to 11 a.m. where I will be here live only on KJAC Radio and Spotify. Also, make sure to follow me on social medias at the underscore KD Reed where I'll be putting up updates for the show different thing like that so make sure to follow me there i'll talk a little bit about the nuggets tomorrow but we got a lot of nba talk a lot of nfl talk to decide so we will see you guys tomorrow for all of that